Welcome back to Hannah's Homestead Podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Bailey. I am looking forward to talking to you every episode about something that surrounds homesteading, homeschooling, homemaking, how to do, and all of the hacks that you need and want to know about doing this on a budget. Because really, you don't have to drive yourself into debt or be overwhelmed with getting your farm or homestead and self-sufficiency going. Hello, welcome back. I am so excited. I have Angela here with me and we are going to talk all things generational farming and how she got into the meat industry. So, like all of my other episodes, I really want you to just take it away and talk about what you do, who you are, how you got into it, and then we will just dive in from there and I will just shoot the questions from the hip and see what we are going to talk about. Okay, my name is Angela Clauser. Uh Currently, I reside in Mulberry, Indiana, and I run Fieldstone Farm. So. I have uh, about two and a half acres that we homestead on. We sell chickens off of our farm that you can legally do in Indiana. Uh, And then I raise, uh, let's see, cows, goats, pigs, and a little bit of everything. We garden and homestead. So we produce most of our food. And I'm a mother. Oh, hold on. It lagged. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a mother to five girls. I still have two really? on the homestead. Oh, did we lag? You're good. No, you're good. Five girls. I have two. And I'm just like, what if I just keep having girls. more girls? <laughs> well, two, uh, two are stepdaughters. My husband and I've been married for six years. So we have three of them are adults. Okay. Okay. So it's easy now. Yeah. I've got all the hard stuff out of the way. They're all, (laughs) they're all into their teenage or adult years. Okay. Do any of them help you? Like you are lagging on my end. Am I? I'm not sure if I'm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It'll be okay. I can work with that. I can figure it out. I even left okay. the door open. So because our internet, um, I don't know if you guys have this problem, but down here in Cloverdale, even though we have fiber with the walls being so old and we found out that when we cut into them, that it's that wooden cement with the in, in between the frame. And so it blocks everything. It doesn't even matter yeah. if you have fiber. I'm like, it is just an old style house so nothing gets through the walls (laughs) yeah we have fiber as well we actually have really good internet for where we're at because it's pretty rural man I'm jealous Um, so (laughs) hopefully it's not on my end it's probably me it's I feel like it's always me whenever I'm trying to do something and it just it's like "Mm, we're just gonna lag (laughs) it could just be this room too because I think it was an addition Um, but you asked if I have uh, anybody that helps me yes do your girls come help you at least like the teens the younger ones not the the stepdaughters so the two uh uh, my two youngest are mine they're 15 and 13 okay 
my 15 year old is my uh, farm manager. Oh, I love So that. we set up our farm as a, yes, our farm is a business. Our house is a business. Good. Um, we work as a team. We're teammates and we all have different uh, aspects that we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So my 15 year old is in charge of all the animals. Uh, she tells us she does like health checks, you know, awesome. are there, uh, is, you know, how much food do we have left for the animals? things like that. So she manages all of that. Uh, she keeps, she's not very good at it, but she tries to keep <laughs> spreadsheets and how much do we spend? How much is it yeah. costing us to raise these animals? So it, we run it as a business. It is the easiest way to explain it. Um, yeah. and then we all, we all chip in, but we all work together on it. Good. That's awesome. I feel like she's going to get so many business skills before going into the real world. And do you guys homeschool? We, I, I homeschool my girl. Okay. A lot of people do in this lifestyle, but there are some that still send them off. I mean, it's very common to see, you know, the kids on our road, get up, do their thing and then go to school. So it just really, I have to ask because a lot of people are still hesitant and reluctant, even though they basically homeschooled e-learned for two years off and on. So I'm like, well, you can do it long term. Right. It can fit into your life. We don't do a set schedule. So I don't know what you yeah. guys do. How do you homeschool and incorporate everything? I heard, how do you homeschool? So I'll go with that question. Yeah. And how do you, um, we do more, we have a more of an unschooling approach. I love yeah. that. So we do more unschooling. Um, my daughters pick what they're interested in and then they learn the subject from there. So my 15 year old is interested in horses. So she's learning anatomy, uh, and science of a horse and she's learning math on how much is it going to take me to take care of my horse every month? you know, writing style, she writes an essay on horsemanship, just things like that. There's so many ways to incorporate homeschooling into your real world and make you set, set your children up for a a sex, excuse me, successful life because they actually have real world experience now, you know, now my daughter knows how to do an Excel spreadsheet and she's 15. Whereas most adults don't know how to do Excel spreadsheets. Oh yeah. If my boss, I'm not going to lie, if my boss doesn't plug in the formulas, I am not putting anything in our Excel spreadsheets that he needs me to because (laughs) I tell him, I'm like, look, put it in there and I will copy and paste it into different rows. But that's the extent. I have not been in school for over 10 years and and that has just gone by the wayside. I can pull out twin goats if you need me to, but, (laughs) you know, the math around it. (laughs) I love that. And I remember when we were talking, yeah. it kind of segues, but you guys went into about 80% of being self-sufficient. You know, you have your girls home, you garden, you raise your own meat. Tell yes. us what that looks like and how you got to that place and how you weeded out the non-essentials and what that looked like for you guys. That actually starts for me about uh, a little over 10 years ago, probably, well, my daughter's 13. So about 12 years ago, I was reading a mommy blog and she was talking about the paleo diet. And at first I was like, this sounds crazy. 
no dairy, you know, cutting out bread and pasta and stuff like that. Like who could do that? But I got really interested in the paleo diet. And then from there, you start to see that what is most of the food, we call it food stuff in our house. It's not real food. When you go to the grocery store, it's corn and soybeans. That's 80% of what's in a grocery store is corn and soy. So I always uh, tell my daughter to break it down to its its biggest ingredient. Whatever the whatever the biggest ingredient is, that's what you're eating. So is it, you know, was it made out of corn? You don't need corn in your life. You can live without corn. Um, and then we just, we eat meat and vegetables and fruit. So fruit's been hard because obviously fruit you have to establish. And the only thing we've got established are, uh, strawberry and blueberry bushes. We don't have our fruit trees are established yet because we've only been here for going on two years. Um, but everything else, you know, we've established and it's, it's so, so much easier to grow it than you think. I think most people overthink it and they think, oh, it's too hard to, to grow a garden that's so big. Um, it's really not, you know, you just have to put work into it. And I think a lot of people think it has to be so big, but you know, I won't lie coffee and, and like the occasional, I have like two of these a week are my vice. I went from one to two a day. And so For me, scaling that back and setting a certain financial goal, I was like, wow, I'm no better and no different than someone who's an addict going through the drive-thru because I'm spending still, you know, like $12 upwards a day keeping this habit going and that adds up. And so when you cut that also, you realize, wow, like this is the amount I was spending per year and now I can invest it in, you know, animal feed or gardening supplies. Um, we're going to start this year like a grow light system and then explant them and transplant and whatnot. And I was thinking about that, how you said it really doesn't cost that much and it's not that much work either. We had a lot of volunteered tomatoes this year. I had to start bartering and trading them because I was like, I am swimming in a, a, like, I have pictures of my husband under this fence (laughs) digging these tomatoes out because they were just everywhere. It was a tomato forest. And it was great, though, because we traded for 12, or I'm sorry, eight meat chickens. And people are like, what? You traded tomatoes for eight meat chickens? I'm like, 50 50 pounds of, like, all kinds of different sizes and types of tomatoes. So, yes, I did. (laughs) And realizing the trade-off and return on investment. So I I love that. And I'm sure your fruit trees will bear fruit very, very soon within the next couple of years. When we moved in, we have a peach tree. And it, the first year I was like, I don't even know what kind of tree this is. Like, should we take it down? I like, it's not doing anything. And then this year it produced the juiciest, sweetest peaches. And we're on the opposite and we don't have our berries yet. Yeah. So we just planted blackberries and raspberries. Did you see them produce in the first year or how long until you saw them flourish or were they already established? The uh, strawberries and blueberries were already established elsewhere. I just put them on my land. So they produced, um, you know, they weren't little stars. I mean, they were full, it was full grown. Uh, I'm just working on spreading the strawberries out, making, creating runners uh, with strawberry plants. Strawberries are super easy. I mean, everybody, when I, whenever I uh, consult uh, other farmers, 
farmers or people that want to get into homesteading, I always tell them to start with start with fruit first because vegetables, I mean, you know, you can just grow vegetables even any time during the year. So just your fruit takes a while to establish. So get it going as quickly as you can and then focus on the vegetables. That's that's kind of my advice for people that are, you know, when they first move to a farm, that's exactly what we did was we focused on, um, well, I focused on chickens first actually, because that's your quickest way to um, get your soil built back up. Yeah. So do you, um, I know some people will argue with chicken poop, you should not just turn it, but you should let it sit for a while. Do you let it sit? How do you incorporate, you know, the soil? Because like with us, we have rabbits, cows, horses, and we have chickens or birds rather. And so we kind of just put it all together and utilize it and then use the wood ash on top to make sure Uh the pH balance is level. And I know a lot of people do very different things. We do a no-till method because I just don't have the patience with everything else going on. (laughs) That's my husband's job. I don't have a green thumb like he does. (laughs) What is your method on utilizing chickens for fertilizer or tilling up the land? Well, I do a deep litter method in my barns. So over the, over the winter, um, you know, I'm just putting straw straw on top of straw to keep it clean, keep it warm in there for them. Uh, then I pull it out in the spring and I put it in my compost pile. The end of the year that what was in the compost pile goes on the garden and then it, and then whatever is fresh goes on, on the garden as well. When I'm done growing, and then I just uh, let it rest over the winter. And then the following spring, it comes, uh, you know, I can just go right into it. And I do no till as well. So awesome. I don't I even pull that. my plants at the end of the year. Uh, this makes me so excited. Do you use any kind of sprays? I was just in another group and they were like, so who does no till, no spray? And who does all of the commercial style because some do sell and I know you commercially sell at least me is that correct I commercially sell meat and eggs um well I don't anymore like I just straight off the farm is that what you're asking well I guess yeah I used to be a commercial producer Okay. Okay. Yes. That's, that's where I got the disconnect and misconception and misinterpretation. So, um, a lot of people, when they hear commercial selling, they believe it's either direct to the restaurant or some sort of supplier. Um, so you do more person to person. Right. Currently I used to sell directly to, um, wholesalers okay. is what I would call them. Mm-hmm. And that's where my commercial side comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I worked for uh, slaughterhouses and uh, in the meat mm-hmm. selling industry. Awesome. I feel like that brings so much to the table because my husband did that like in high school as a side job working for a butcher. And now, you know, we butcher our own and since we don't have a commercial license, we barter <laughs> because a lot of people are like, well, how do you get meat to other families instead of right. giving it away? And I'm like, if you barter it, there's no money involved. Everyone has something that another person needs, or we can yeah. sell it live and we can show them how to butcher it. And then there you go. <laughs> you know, there's, I think a lot of people 
yeah make it so complicated that they don't think about the workaround on how to you know make it profitable or at least beneficial and so what do you guys barter at all do you do any kind of trades are you in that kind of network aspect too absolutely um well i mean and you know that in india you can do a thousand birds off your farm a year without, yeah. without so a license we, we yeah. do so yeah. the birds yes um but we do pigs as well so that's where it gets sticky and tricky the, right. <laughs> Um, I do, I do get this year. I did have my, uh, animals done at a USDA facility so that I, I could sell them, uh, just because I was raising them for other people. I knew the facility owners. I know the, the slaughterhouse pretty well. And, um, I really appreciate the way that the guy does it. He doesn't use any chemicals in the slaughter process. Oh, that's and awesome. most people don't realize that, that yeah most slaughterhouses use a bleach wash on your animals even the smaller uh slaughterhouses do um the non-commercial ones so he uses hot water only and um then he processes he's been in the business since the 60s i mean he knows the ins and outs um i don't have the room to do a ca uh, cows i had two cows and two pigs that i took into him i can do the pigs myself and i can do the cows myself I don't have the hanging facility on the farm to do them. So I uh, took them in to him and it was much, it was just easier for me and, and yeah. I had sold them. So, yeah, it's funny you say that because when we did our last two pigs, um, the first one we did, we just laid them out on a tarp in the driveway and just did it for ourselves and as a practice run. And the other two, my husband, I'll send you pictures when we're done with this. We had them hanging off the carport, <laughs> curing for a couple weeks. And I was like, this is so ridiculous. Like we need an actual butcher's shed because I, people drive by and they see two pigs hanging. There. Right. <laughs> so, but some people, you just have to make do with what you can. I mean, we don't have a trailer, so right. our horse was trailered in, our donkey was trailered in, and whatnot. And so I think once you get into that framework of, okay, I've reduced the costs, but there is still a need on transporting. And have you had any issues with um, getting the, the food or the animal to the buyer? And if you have in any capacity what was your experience and how did you overcome that especially when it comes to sales of meat or animal um no issues i think that like a big part of homesteading and what we've gotten away from in the where we're everybody's online all the time is we don't have actual personal relationships with people anymore so i have a relationship with a guy that is my hauler he's my live animal hauler I don't have a trailer to haul big animals in anything else. If it's small, like my pig, I'll just haul them in the back of my pickup truck. Uh, but the, the cows and the horse, I can't haul myself. So he does it for me. Um, and then we work out like he sends people my way that he knows that, that are looking for animals. He sent me a group of people yesterday that were looking for live chickens. They wanted to do the butchering themselves, but they didn't have, uh, anybody else that would sell them live, live birds. So 
especially when you get into like the Hispanic community, they want live animals. They don't, they yes. want to butcher them themselves. Yes. You know, that's who we predominantly I have frozen too. beef I could sell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, um, and then as far as like hauling, the once the meat's processed, I just haul it myself and yeah. take it to whoever needs it uh, from the facility. That's okay. all I did this year. So, and we're not, I'm not producing a ton. Uh, I used to run, I had an old partnership where we farmed together and we did what I would call commodity raising with uh, like regenerative agriculture raising. So we married the two together because he was, he was big in the commodity side. He wanted like, uh, he wanted numbers. He wanted as many pigs as possible. And I wanted the pigs to be healthy and be out in the sunlight. So we did... Um, they were raised on concrete with access to pasture Aww. and then we supplemented in sprouts. Okay. So the pigs actually, you know, they had a, a, a spot to rest mm -hmm. and then we did the same with uh, chickens. They were raised with um, access to sprouts and they were raised on dirt inside of a chicken barn. Okay. okay. Uh, but they were raised 500 at a time versus industry standards is usually in those long chicken barns that you see it's usually about five thousand. so there was so wild <laughs> i i can smell it yeah just like have you ever been in one of those barns when it's active oh it's so horrible it it's <laughs> you can almost smell them rotting and it sounds so sad and bad but it really it's not fun it's not good mm -hmm. for them are we free range our chickens so on your farm do you free range what you currently no. have no so i free range my uh layers okay so i have about 60 layers that take care of my yard for me and they take care of all nuisance pests mm -hmm. um and then my meat birds they are in a movable tractor and okay. they get moved twice a day perfect and i oh i don't i got away from cornish crash i did i did do cornish last year twice and i really don't like them um they're just gross birds <laughs> and i'm angry you know that's so funny we so we do <laughs> rangers now um any type of ranger okay so do you typically cross your birds uh, at all have you experienced crossing the layers in meat and incorporating a dual purpose I mean obviously all chickens can be dual purpose but what does it look like how do you have any that are just so slow at growing and kind of let them in it I don't really know the right way to ask the question but because I feel like people really want something that's hardy and big meat producing but they don't want to do meat birds because of the smell and you know they do grow fast and then they run out of freezer space or because right. that's what we're experiencing is running out of freezer space and I'm like okay well now we need to change our butcher schedule because we can't even though we've scaled back a lot on our pigs we don't have room for the cow so <laughs> what does that okay. look like when it comes to your butchering yeah. rotation well we bought a new freezer uh, obviously once we scaled up uh so i currently i have a, a whole cow two pigs and about 40 chickens and four freezers four like big freezers um we, i said 
I just reach out to the public and sell uh, once I need to get rid of it, you know, and I reach, I have a ton of, of women that are interested in farm raised meat that I can reach out to. Cause I did have to do that. I had to get rid of a bunch of birds. Um, as far as like raising dual purpose birds, I really don't like them. Uh, you can't convince me that a buff Orpington tastes better than a rainbow ranger. Cause it doesn't. I, I don't I don't like the flavor as much as I do in a ranger bird. Uh, something that's that's geared towards meat birds. And even Cornish Cross, although they don't taste as good as a ranger, in my opinion, they're still better than like a dual purpose bird. Um, the speckled Sussex, I think, is probably the best, the best one around. But by the time you are raising it to a meat weight, it's like six, six months. Yeah. So, and then it's starting to lay for you unless it's a rooster. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't, the dual purpose don't, don't do a lot for me. So okay. I don't, I, I don't mess with them too much. Um, I've only let one of my hens go broody once and we raised, um, I think eight new, new layers out of her. So we crossed, you know, they were all crossed. Mm -hmm. They were all just backyard whatever and yeah. then we had an owl attack and ate Aww. all eight of them oh my so <laughs> that's, that's the way it works <laughs> right yeah I know I it's so it's frustrating hard. but <laughs> yeah so how did you okay speaking of you know attacks in I'm gonna take it to a different direction but with the weather last week where we had negative 35 wind chills things like that that was a, you know, a really crazy weather attack. Yep. And then now it's like 60. How did you navigate that? And what is your plan for say it happens again, or it happens worse? Because, you know, we really didn't have a lot of ice. We didn't have a lot of snow. It was just bitter cold. And what is your plan of mm -hmm. action now? Well, first, I think that a lot of people, when they're getting into homesteading, they they try to humanize animals, and animals and humans are different. Uh, animals are, are bred to be raised outdoors. I don't do anything. I, I make sure they have access to fresh water, and I double their food intake. That's what I do. Um, if your animal has a way to get out of the inclement weather, which I'm sure your horses, if they weren't um, held in the barn, they went outside. Mine did, you know, my cow went outside. He went, he came inside when it was too cold and he's, he's a baby and he wanted to eat, you know, twice as, as much as he normally does, but they will eat more to produce more heat yeah. and then they'll huddle together even. Yeah. So I don't really do a lot. I just make sure they have fresh water. Um, I make sure the water doesn't freeze. I use, I have two stock tanks, um, goldfish in both of them. So to keep the water clean, that, that really helps is, okay. and a lot of people think it sounds weird when you first tell them that. And then I do uh, tank heaters in both of those. And then after that, I just bring fresh water out, um, probably every four to six hours, okay. you know, so yeah. that during the day. And then at, I do my last check at about 7 PM and they're already like a chicken will you know this will put itself up at night oh, yeah. as soon as it gets dark so around six 
in the wintertime, they're already putting themselves up. Yeah. Uh, my chickens, I never close. There's, they're never closed in. Mm -hmm. uh, none of my animals are ever closed in. They always have access to the outside or the inside. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't worry about it too much. My saying on our farm is, um, if it dies, it dies. And that's for animals, um, trees, plants everything yeah it's it's the natural order of things yeah you know you're not going to be able to save save everything and i think i've seen a lot of people do more harm by bringing their animals inside and then taking them back out than yeah. if they had just let their animal acclimate to the weather mm -hmm. um because the animals know before or you know that right bad weather's coming right yeah, we did nothing, and I'm you know, sure people look. This at is us why like we this is crazy. why you see. <laughs> yep. And I can say, I, I, I'm in some chicken groups online, and a lot of people lost chickens. I didn't lose one chicken in that um, cold spell that we had. We didn't lose one animal. Not one animal even got sick. Oh, good. You know, I didn't. There was no respiratory infections afterwards. A lot of times. You'll get that because you, you're not keeping your barn, um, you know, like clean Yeah. most of the time, especially if you've got multi-species in there. Like we have chickens and the cow goes into the chicken side because, well, he's a baby and he's nosy. Yeah. So, but I have to keep that chicken side just as clean as I do the cow side because I don't want him to get a respiratory infection from hanging out with uh, chickens. Yeah. Yeah. Ours, so like we have three separate, I would, well, I guess technically we have five, but in one section we have three separate lean-to style structures and one shipping container. And then we have another one in a different section and ours will not poop in their lean-tos, which is so nice because I'm like, thank you for being like, yeah. I'm, this is where I stand and get out of the weather. And we don't have to deal with that as much. Like they've really reduced my cleaning. And I'm like, you guys are amazing. We did lose one chicken, but she had been like trampled on. So we do have like two runs of chickens with specific roosters mm -hmm. because I want to breed backyard mutts. And so we have an incubator, but there are big, beautiful roosters yeah. with their own hens. And then I have my free rangers and one of them in one of the runs, she had been trampled on and everyone had like huddled into one section instead of roosting up. And just because of the wind, it was easier for them to get into this like little chicken igloo. And so that was one yeah. loss, but it happens and she was already the smallest of the bunch. So, you know, what do you do? Right. And it, that's what you need to prepare yourself for. If you become a homesteader, you're going to, things are going to die. You're, you're going to have to, um, you can't treat all the animals as if they're, they're humans. I go back to that all the time because it drives me bonkers when I see people put leashes on chickens and sweaters on chickens and you know the sweaters on the goats and stuff like that and it's like i mean it's cute for a photo op i guess but if you're really letting your animals run around like that they're not getting what they need from the sunlight the wind um you know i don't know roll around in the dirt i'm sure your horse does it Our oh horse, yes he my daughter groomed <laughs> yeah 
and my daughter groomed our horse and we just got it just got the horse uh and she, she groomed her and she had her all pretty and had the hooves trimmed yesterday the farrier came out and the horse as soon as they, they let her go the horse ran to the nearest mud puddle and she rolled around in it a couple of times and then got up and ran, ran around the pasture so that's what they want to do i mean they want to be animals do you follow joel yeah. salatin at all do you what? know how he always says do you follow Joel Salatin? I don't, but I should. I'll... The farmer, Polyface Farms? Uh, uh, no. You, you should definitely follow. Joel Salatin has a saying that, um, let it be the pigness of the pig. You know, let the pig do what it's going to yeah. do. Like our sure. our pigs actually root around. You know, we, I don't want to raise my pigs on concrete because I want them to root around and dig up the the root vegetables and eat the mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm looking for it, him now. You said, oh, I found him. Yeah. Awesome. He And he wrote a good book called um, Poultry for Profits, I think. Oh, okay. So if you're looking to make money... Yeah, if you're looking to make money in selling chickens, um, Poultry for Profits is a good book to read. I always love when people plug different resources like books and people because uh -huh. there's so much knowledge out there and it, it's just this constant learning situation. You know, every day is going to be so different and that's what I try and preach to everyone. Like no two days will ever be the same ever something is going right. to teach you something and you're just going to have to roll with it I mean plenty of times I've walked out and one of our trucks had a flat tire because we rolled over something either out on our road because there are so many tractors and trucks going by or something in our own driveway and I'm like well there's a screw in our tire again <laughs> and we have gravel. So it's not like we can just constantly see it when the gravel moves, it put, kicks it under. You're never going to find absolutely everything. And so, um, it's just, it's no, you're not, something. you're not. <laughs> so do you, with the sprouts, yeah. with the chicken, My... Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask if you, um, keep them away from the garden area or how you contain your garden since, you know, the free rangers really don't care and they will get up into everything. They'll even look in your windows. At least no. mine will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate them on my porch. That's the only place where it makes me really mad when they get up on the porch. Um, one, I've trained my, I have two German shepherds. I've trained my German shepherds to um, herd the chickens back into the pasture, which they have done phenomenally well. I mean, they have really took it over and now uh, they they do it. You know, we had a, a couple where they, they grabbed a bird or two, but uh, now they don't and they're really good about it. And two, I put a uh, electric uh, netting around my garden. So most people Perfect. contain their chickens inside the electric netting. I contain my chickens outside <laughs> of the electric netting and it's whatever I want to protect inside. <laughs> So they're That's gonna awesome. get into it if they want to, but they didn't I didn't have one chicken get in the garden this year. Yeah. Good. Good. We um lost and I this is really the first public time I've said it, but we lost one of our livestock guardian dogs. She was hit. She got out of the fence. Um so obviously she had chased something out and jumped it and so she had been hit and so 
that sucks. So <laughs> we now have to um, find, yeah. we have to train up one of the others because they were still stupid males that would like take off. And she would, females I found are really loyal and smart and just stick to their job. And then, you know, you get a mm -hmm. great Pyrenees male and they are the epitome of disappear because they're like, what I see and I smell something and they'll find their way out. So either our Anatolian or one of our healers is going to have to be that new guardian as long as, you know, we can get it up to standard. <laughs> I know we'll lose a couple birds, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually just was, so I was in the market to get an actual livestock guardian dog and stick them out in my barn. And I was reading up about them and I was following a lady that actually pays attention to livestock guardian dogs and pet dogs. And she said that if you mix the two, your livestock guardian dog will attack your pet dog because it's going to view it as a, um, what word am I looking for? A threat. As, as an attack on its actual livestock. Mm -hmm. So I decided not to. And then I trained my German shepherds uh, because they're herding dogs. Yeah. German shepherds are. Now they're very loyal to me. So my German shepherds are always trying to protect me and they view anything in the life in the pasture as a threat to me. So when they chase the chickens, they're, they're protecting me because the chickens aren't up around me. Yeah. And that's the way that my herd dogs look at it now. Yeah. I love that because what I found too, well, when we had Shiloh, um, the art, she was a female Great Pyrenees. She thankfully didn't view other dogs that were with me as a threat. But if there mm -hmm. was a if there was a loose one, she would try and corner it. But we did we did have one dog that gave her a run for her money, and she basically was almost never the same after that, and was very timid. She wasn't a very confident dog when it came to larger threats when it came to small things you know like a cat or uh -huh. a chicken out of the out of place or someone at the gate she would bark and, and you know it would scare them but it wasn't really the the result I guess that we wanted in this aspect of a job so we do need something more firm more confident and honestly my little blue healer Izzy she probably will yeah. be that one just because she is more aggressive and <laughs> and it's like I'm not going to tolerate things <laughs> like my girls know if they start acting up and Izzy's loose she will get right between my legs and she will not let them near me and she if, she, if I want quiet time I let Izzy be right next to me yep. and they're like yep. uh <laughs> so <laughs> Oh, I love all this. I love dogs. Yes, I, we do too. How many yeah, do you have? I have two uh, German Shepherds, a five-year-old male, who's my best friend. He goes with me, you know, all the time. Um, and then I've got a two-year-old female who's subservient to the male. So mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a obvious pecking order when you come over to my house. It's yeah. me, my male, and then my female. And they let you know. I so it. it's, it's pretty fun. Um, I feel like a lot of people are afraid to have multiple oh, dogs. Cut out again. Oh, are we back? We got full bars. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I feel like a lot of people get nervous about bringing in a lot of dogs, but you know, we have always had eight just because not by, because we've wanted to, um, most people know that I will take on any kind uh -huh. of rescue situation, but you know, I've capped it out at eight. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, but we have, um, three working breeds. One of them is a border collie. He's about 13. So he's basically retired and he lives with our only goat and he's a good boy, but we know his time's coming to an end very soon. And then one is a pet. And then we have an Alaskan Aww. Malamute and a boxer um, lab mix that he lives with. And they did great with the weather. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that there is a very different personality traits and like you said a pecking order and so you know my healers they are parts one and two like as we go down the line it is very clear who is confident in their role and where they stand yep. I would say our Anatolian is number three um our our great Pyrenees he's just still stupid I don't I don't know what to do with him he's still in that like stupid stage of I'm kind of a puppy <laughs> I don't really know what to oh, do yeah. yet <laughs> and it's just I think overwhelming for people because like you said you get people in these groups and they're, they're thinking I want a livestock dog and then they don't know how to handle the personality or the breed type and get them mm -hmm. to do the job that they were bred to do. And then they get frustrated and then you see them get rehomed or sent to another farm yeah. and then they just develop all these behavioral issues. So I love that you use your German shepherds to serve a role and a purpose because they're really smart dogs. You know, some people have their mutts and some mutts are great they at are. their job, but they're not always bred for you know, a herding situation or a guardian situation. You know, my men pen thinks he's a guardian. Yeah. He's a chicken killer. He's not allowed out without a leash. So I, you know, like I can't just send him out. He's yeah. loyal to me, but you got to be thoughtful and mindful about what you're getting into. And I think that goes with all livestock too, but correct me if I'm wrong. What was the one? Yeah what was the one thing that you got out of because like an animal or um some sort of craft or gardening that you were saying okay this is just not giving me the return on investment that I wanted and it wasn't what I thought it was for us it was goats um yeah I'll, I used goats um everything for me has to have a job or a purpose so I used goats when we first moved here to clear out the um overgrowth that the old owners let happen so I, I I rented them from another farmer so to speak uh basically I just fed them for free for six months for him uh but I won't do rabbits because the setup and the return is too small and I can do chicken so much quicker and easier for me and a lot of people would argue that a lot of people would say oh rabbits are you know they're so easy um I'll only have rabbits again on the farm for a uh educational so did I tell you that I'm doing a farm classes for kids in the spring no tell me all yeah. about that share that here so I know um where mulberry is I'm very familiar my family was raised around the Tipton Frankfurt area so like everything between those two and uh yeah. green green uh oh god green not greenfield um over by Kokomo is it greenfield no 
anyway, everything between those sections I'm very familiar with. We still have family up in there. Greentown. Yeah. Ooh, that was like way too hard for me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so in my homeschooling, what I see a lot of other homeschooling moms do is they, they freak out because they're like, oh, I'm not teaching the same as the school. Well, that's kind of the whole point of home, homeschooling. So, uh, but one of the biggest things that I try to teach my daughters is observation. If you can observe and see what's going on in the world, you can figure anything out. You know how you know the basics. You know reading and 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 writing and, and math. So you just need to have good observational skills, and then you can figure anything out. Whether you observe it happening or and learn from watching it, or you go, I want to learn more about that, and then you go home and you read a book on it. You know, however you're works best to learn um you just have to be able to observe that it's important that that happened does that does that make sense yes I love that kind of like your your perception yes and so I think also I teach this in my with my they're, they're not personal training clients they're more like a lifestyle transformation um with at my real job real job. <laughs> they, uh, uh-huh. I teach them, you know, your perception of things is your initial view of it. But if you change your perspective on it, things will get easier and, and you will uh-huh. view them better or you will problem solve them better. So don't read things as your initial perception, log it, look at it, how you feel, what you're thinking, and then change and shift into a better perspective. Okay. So you're better served or yeah. you can learn from it and know how to navigate it going forward. Same with absolutely anything. Yeah. So the farm class will be the kids learning about all about like horses one day or chickens. And then they'll learn a math and a science lesson with it, but they'll have to observe the farm as if they're the farmer. So just like what I do with my 15 year old, um, how- I said, she's my farm manager. She has to make sure, you know, are, are there any sick animals out here? Do I have enough food to get me through the weekend? Um, you know, is there anything in the fencing that might poke or hurt my animal when, when my animal's running by, you know, loose wires, things like that. Once, because once you learn all of those things, you, you really start to understand life in general. I mean, honestly, if you can, because like our, we look at our farm as a, as it's our oasis. It's our, this is our real world. You know, I mean, I'm raising all my food. I'm keeping myself healthy. I'm uh, living my life on this farm. We don't vacation. I doubt you do either <laughs> with this many no. animals. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, well, like we'll do it like a split vacation um, or like a day trip, a day trip we can get by with in the summer, usually only in the summer, because that's easy to manage on a really good, nice, sunny day. And you're like, everyone's fed. We're yeah. gone for nine hours. I, I don't know if you guys have like any security systems, but yep. <laughs> we have like, people think I'm crazy. I'm like, I have four different camera systems because if one yeah. goes down, I want to know that I can see on another system where why and how so what does that look like for you since you know vacations and stuff uh well we're always home I mean I do have uh multiple jobs so 
my husband works full time, um, but we're all, we're almost always home. There's always somebody here for me. So we're our my security system is is mainly my two dogs. <laughs> you know, they alert to anybody coming on the property. And I don't know if you guys get this down there, but up here, it's like if you're a farm, and especially if you're outside, people will just stop by. Oh, which yeah. I love. My husband's not the biggest <laughs> fan of, but I love it because I'm always like. Oh. I haven't seen my animals. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. It so gets I overwhelming sometimes. So like we're not on a main road, but we had a mile south of us, a main road that kind of connects all the little towns closed and it had work on it. And it was very beneficial, the timeline, because that's when my free produce stand was out. And because we help a lot of churches and pantries reduce food waste. And like, I can't just keep feeding all my yeah. animals all all this stuff like as much as I love it like they can only consume so much or I'm not going to have any animals because they literally will break their ankles right. from being so fat but it was perfect timing and yeah. I met a lot of people <laughs> however a lot of people don't have really good tact and they don't understand that like for you you have it set up as a business our address is not listed as any kind of business right now um it's more just person to person and we try and stay under the cottage laws or you know just barter trade uh -huh. so I'm like there's right. literally yeah. people that will just show up and and I get it they're curious and as if it helps someone great you know later on down the road I think about it and I pray about it and I'm like okay like I help them I'm, they're not a threat but my initial reaction is very <laughs> tread very lightly I was raised in a very heavy law enforcement, military family, like my husband and I both served too. So I'm very situationally aware and I'm like, okay, what is their intent? And I immediately put a guard up because you just never know. And I feel like a lot of people have this idea that, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm biased as well to this, that what people come up is a threat to what I have because people are hateful. I don't know if you've experienced any kind of um, weirdness or um, I wouldn't say retaliation. Our neighbors are pretty cool, but we've had one, you know, we took on a couple different horses that needed high needs, high care, and they sent the animal control over and he was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've worked with him outside of the horse it, horses and he's like you know you, you have vet care I know they're on medications people need to mind their own business but there's always going to be yeah. that one person yeah. that sticks their nose up and is is going to call something in without asking you and and just show judgment you know I'm sure you have experienced at least in some capacity some sort mm -hmm. of judgment on your lifestyle whether it be homeschooling homesteading selling the birds, whatever it is. Can you speak on anything like that and how you, you know, push through it? Because for us, I just had to like, just let it go. And it sucked because I was like always looking over my shoulder, like yeah. which, which car is the one that's driving by and who, if they're slowing down, you know, and then it, you get that anxiety and finally I'm past that, but yeah. it was overwhelming at first. And, and I was like, how can I kill these people with kindness? And really mm -hmm. it just got dropped in our lap that we could do a free produce right. stand. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me has always been because we butcher on site. Um, and I also run my own butchering business. So I'll come to your house and, and help you butcher your, your chickens. 
That's amazing. Um, I won't do anything bigger than chickens right now just because it takes it takes too long. <laughs> but I'll come over and do and do chickens for you. So for me it's it's a little unnerving when um people ask me about stuff like that because you do have a lot of people that are very anti uh meat eating off of a farm. They are like go to the grocery store. You, you know, it, they can't there's such a disconnect where with where meat actually comes from from a grocery store or a restaurant that they cannot they like you know and of course the biggest uh person against it was my own family one of my sisters was like oh that was so gross when we did it when we were little why would you do that to your kids now and I'm like why wouldn't I teach them where stuff comes from you, you know and give them a healthy uh lifestyle a healthy eating for the rest of their life, because if you can build that foundation, then they will have that um, going into their adult years and they won't be sick and addicted to, um, you know, my biggest addiction is diet soda. And I got that from my teen years and I've never been able to successfully kick it for very long. You know, I can go months without it. And then I, a stressor happens and I go back to drinking diet soda. I don't want my kids to be, uh, hooked on soda and if teaching them how to raise their own food is going to give them that good foundation i'll do it um i had to for me i had to stop second guessing myself because i, I do a lot of second guessing you know like if, am i doing the right thing i just exposed my kids to butchering 50 chickens today and you know we all have because you're going to get blood on you we all have blood on us and and stuff like that but Really, I mean, we did this for, we've do, been doing this for thousands of years. Like why in the last 50 years is it suddenly bad? You know, I think the nineties really messed people up. Yeah. I mean, I'm a nineties baby. And with so that, I look at convenience food. Yeah. I look at, at the way that we were raised and mm -hmm. I was raised in a very convenient lifestyle. You know, I was never told no. And I can I, I was mm -hmm. literally a spoiled brat. My dad told me that I was raised with this. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And, you know, I had, uh, which I no longer have, but <laughs> I had like these um, inheritances, inherited, I cannot speak, inheritances. And I had savings. And when I left at 18 and I joined the military, my mom spent all of them because she was also on them. And so wiped that clean. And which is, it's so much yeah. more rewarding and fulfilling to say I walked away from that and I can serve my family with my own yeah. hands and my own time and energy. And, you know, my dad's proud of it, which is mm -hmm. great. You know, my parents are divorced if you can't tell, <laughs> but we, um, uh, it was, <laughs> it's, it's very different because he's still working, even though he's supposed to be retired and, I'm looking at things as like a five-year plan of wiping out any debt that we have. And, you know, pigs, people call them mortgage lifters yeah. because you can just, I honestly, I feel like pigs reproduce better than rabbits. They're easier to handle. They're easier to grow out. Um, that's just my perspective on it. And so a lot of people think, wow, like you're 28. How can you do all of this? And 
I'm like, I wish I was raised the way that you were raised because I'm learning so much later than in life. And luckily my three-year-old is like, my dad cut a, a pig in half. And I'm like, yeah, he sure did. And it's normal. And they don't even bat an eye. They don't cry about it. <laughs> they're, they're like, she loves bacon. So she's like, when nope. can I have bacon? And I'm like, it has to cure. Like, hold on, be uh -huh. patient. But she grasps the concept and understands yeah. where where yeah. it comes from. And I actually said this on um, a podcast I recorded yesterday, but we, the people, when they buy their eggs at the store, they don't realize they've been sitting there for a month plus before they got to the shelf. And so the disconnect right. that they're right. cleaner and better is so unreal. And I just, you, you really just want to shake people who don't understand <laughs> and, and realize that they've been so pasteurized. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm like, there's almost no nutrients in that. And you can definitely taste the difference. So oh, that's my soapbox. On oh, yeah, that. Sure. <laughs> I, I love that you're exposing. Yeah, your I have the same soapbox. Um, I will say like, yeah, they don't love it all the time, but they're used to it now. Uh, uh, I did. So I was raised like my next door neighbors were my grandparents when I was little and they ran a little homestead and they butchered everything out in the yard and they did it more for convenience, not for nutrition, you, you know, anything like that. Um, they did it more as a convenience. It's cheaper to raise your own animals back then. So I was exposed to it when I was little. And then during the nineties, I was born in 80 during the nineties. Um, that's when convenience food really hit the market, you know, and you were considered dirty if you grew your own food. Um, so I got away from it. And then my youngest child has, uh, autism. And that's really how I got back into it was I was reading, a, you know, the mommy blog about paleo. And then I started to get more and more interested in nutrition. And then I started to like think about my past and how we did what we did. And so I started working for a slaughterhouse and, um, really learning about like the nutritional value of animals, because there is a lot of nutritional value in an, in an animal that you can't get your macros and your micros yes. out of an animal that you can't get out of any plant. I love that you mentioned that because so, that's what um, I teach people in my day-to-day -day life. I'm like, you need to understand your macros and we follow mostly paleo just because one, it's actually simpler. And a lot of people don't realize how primal and natural it is when you get into those habits and you revert back to our, you know, really the, what we're supposed to be doing and you detox from all of the junk that really is fake. It's not even real food. And so it's, it's Franken food. And so right. have you seen like health differences since well I, your youngest she kind of grew up in it but have you seen health differences between you know your oldest or with your stepdaughters and your youngest since you changed the way that they have accessibility to natural healthy food because I can see a huge difference in just my seven-year-old and my three-year-old with the way that they were raised. And because my mm -hmm. three-year-old came into this at one, so she really didn't have a choice. And then my oldest has basically split household and yeah. she sees 
she gets all the junk and all the cool stuff at her dad's and then at home I get to continue the detox cycle and she's okay with it now we've we've gotten into a a routine where it doesn't affect her as much but what have you witnessed with the differences of food as well so for my um daughter that's on the autistic spectrum she was nonverbal and she was in diapers until she was four and that's really when i started to go hard at it and i did something called gaps i don't know if you're familiar with the gaps diet or protocol i've heard of it but if you for the listeners let them know because i feel like a lot of people need an understanding of it and actually one of my last episode that i recorded yesterday that will be a week before yours her, one of her children has autism too. So this is going to be great to relay there as well. Yeah. Uh, so GAP stands for gut and psychology syndrome. Uh, it, and it's really about how your, your gut, your microbiome, those are, you know, big words now, but when she came out with gaps, she was really kind of ahead of her time. Um, and her name is uh, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. Um, it's a hyphenated last name. But if you just type in GAPS, you'll be able to pull up all the information on it. And it's really, it's it's how our gut affects our brain, how, how it affects the neurons that are firing, um, and then how it, it reduces inflammation in the body so that your neurons can fire effectively and your brain works better. Are you going to get rid of your autism? Probably not but you're going to um, take the symptoms down. Uh, My daughter was, when she was born, I could tell something was wrong with her. Like, you know, and the doctors were just like, no, there's nothing wrong with her. She's just a lazy baby because she didn't want to sit up. You know, she couldn't, she couldn't um, hold her, her neck up, things like that. And so I did a lot of work with her and I took her through the gaps protocol and we did a lot of broth and a lot of um, easily digestible meat because it is so much easier on the body to digest that than than bulk fiber. Uh, and, and that really reduced her symptoms. I mean, her vocabulary came in strong. She didn't drool anymore. Uh, her eyes didn't roll back anymore. She stopped her seizures. Everything, everything changed for me when I did that with her. Um, and now... She's been through it once. Should I? I should probably have her go back through it again. Um, she's 13 now, so she she can kind of make her own decisions about food. But she really knows that she needs to stay away from dairy because it's uh, harmful to her and it does cause uh, resur- resurfacing of symptoms. So that's kind of where where I went with it, and that that really helped me understand how little food you actually need from the grocery store. Yes, I feel, and that's something I witness with a lot of my clients when they're just on a weight loss journey. They're like, wow, I've only eaten 700 calories today. And I'm like, yeah, but you've also had 80 grams of protein when before you were only getting 40 grams and you were getting like 120 grams of fat. So let's look at the trade off and the difference and what your body is actually eating. And a lot of people that I've I coach, they don't even get enough fiber because they're so consumed with fat and they're overeating their carbs and they don't understand the way that their body breaks things down. So I'm glad that you brought that up too, is digestible food Mm -hmm. and food can heal or it can hurt us. And 
and really, I don't even think it's real food that's hurting us. Right. I mean, you look at the difference of, of pasteurized dairy versus raw and why don't they want us drinking raw and we have to label it as pet milk to, to trade it up, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, like, let's look at all oh, the I can go down that hole. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a whole uh-huh. thing. <laughs> so as we wrap this up, this is so educational. Yeah. I I'm obsessed. And this was, you know, way, way out there instead of just like the homesteading aspect. And it's beautiful. What is one piece of advice that you would give someone who wants to start their homestead? Because we do see that trend in lifestyle shifting into growth, which is great. Um, it makes land hard to buy right now, but what would you tell people mm-hmm that want to come into this who are not generational farmers. They really are starting from scratch and they really don't know where to look at like in a community aspect. I think the biggest thing is to, to make your goal because I can, my biggest goal right now is to feed my family healthy food. That's my number one goal. That'll always be my number one goal is to feed us healthy food. Um, so for me, I, I start there and then I, and then I work out, you know, I, we just bought this farm two years ago. So it's not like I've had a farm forever. My husband and I, when we got married, we lived in town at his house. And then, you know, once we were able to sell it and move out here, that's when we were able to start farming. I couldn't farm for, uh, four years there's so much research, uh, out there, you know, there's so many, like just free stuff that you can look up on the internet. It's not as hard as everybody makes it out to be, but my, I think my biggest thing for someone, like, let's say you have land, you you have the land for a garden, make your garden twice as big as you want to make it. You're never going to grow too much food. You can always find something to do with the food. Um, that's probably my biggest thing because I see so many people give bad advice and they say, start small, start small. Don't start small, start double, whatever you think you can do. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Weeds are going to take over. Okay. You know, then you, then you can just uh, redo it for next year and just keep going. You know, I mean, my grandmother and my mother always said, just do it yourself. If you want it done, just do it yourself. So that's my motto. Like I, I live, Uh, my life on our farm as if I'm the only person that lives here. So if I see something that needs to be done, I just go do it. And I think that's how a lot of women are. It does get overwhelming, but I tell my kids that that same thing, live here as if you're the only person here and just go do this stuff. You know, our, we have, we put in like four new gardens this year. Do I think I can manage all four of them? Probably not, but I'm going to (laughs) try. Yeah. And my biggest piece of advice is, is double. I was going to say, I think a lot of people don't realize there will be some level of crop loss. Like it doesn't, you, that's why you need to do it a little bit bigger. You know, one section might flood and you might not realize you need your ground tiled or you need to change the layout or you you might have a rabbit or some other sort of predator come in and steal some stuff, or you just might not have them grow because they, it gets too dry and you didn't think about watering them. All these other variables that we could talk about day in and day out. So yes, grow, go bigger, 
So you get some yield because there yeah. will be loss. Every farmer experiences loss in, in some sort of capacity. Yep. And I mean, if you don't want to process it right then and there, I threw tons of tomatoes in my freezer and just froze them because I didn't want to make sauce every single day for a week. You know, when your tomatoes are coming on. That was uh, us too. <laughs> you can do it later in the winter when you don't have much to do on the farm. So. Seriously. Yeah. People do not think about the season that, you know, you fall ends and you really can't do much other than, you know, maintain the animals until spring. And they don't think about that downtime. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of things to do in an old farmhouse. We have plenty of work that we need to do inside, but no one wants oh, yeah. to do inside projects 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. Sometimes you want a little bit of downtime and, and canning. Do you just can, or do you um, yeah. hydrate? What is that? What do you do in that aspect? So I, I do everything. I can, I freeze, I ferment, I dehydrate, and we just bought a freeze dryer. So I'll be freeze drying too. Um, I'm excited. I'm really excited about that. <laughs> but I just do a little bit of everything. I also feed scraps to my, all my animals. All my animals get food scraps all the time. Yeah. So do we. We have a five gallon bucket that lives inside the house. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Yeah. I am so glad we got to talk. Um, I'm sure we could talk for hours on end about more stuff and I'll just have to bring you back on for a later episode on different things because this is just so educational. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you. Do you have any questions before we close out? Anything you want, anything else you want to share before the recording stops? No. Uh, um, I would just say like, if anybody, I do... So I do the uh, butchering on the side and then I do uh, farm consulting. So if anybody's ever interested there, feel free to reach out to me. I have a lot of years of experience in farming and nutrition and, you know, homesteading in general. Um, so if anybody has any questions for me, they're more than welcome to reach out. I, I get it all the time. So <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all anymore. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. This is so fun to talk to you. <laughs> You are welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm going to hit stop.